now, this is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Derek Dyson and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Willem van Denderen, Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson for a podcast spun off from our main show where we go through highlights of the past week. We'll have teams, moments and hot topics, but we're going to start with the games that got our pulses racing. And Derek, let's not waste a moment's time. You're going to start us off by going Deutsch. That's right. Uh, could, have, could have picked a certain Premier League game, but I have a feeling that Edge will bring that one home after I've uh, done my one. But I've gone for Borussia Dortmund 3, Augsburg uh, sorry, Borussia Dortmund 4, Augsburg 3. So Bundesliga is back after a near, um, you know, two or three month hiatus. And what really caught my attention of this one was the fact there were two uh, young English, uh, still teenagers on the score sheet there. We all know about Jude Bellingham. He scored a fine uh, opening goal for Dortmund, but it was Jamie Bino-Gittens uh, who scored uh, a goal in this game, a brilliant finish. Uh, he's another one of the uh, wonder talents, wonder kids that uh, has been poached from uh, English and, and UK football, and Dortmund do a fine job, don't they? Looking after these, looking after these players, and uh, I, you know, I think they should stick around for longer. Don't, you know, as soon as they become good, all the big Premier League clubs all start swooping in. But why would they want to leave when they're when they're getting such um, brilliant treatment over there in Dortmund? Uh, uh, Gio Reyna scored the winner. I think we're going to talk about Reyna for other reasons later. It was a brilliant uh, winning goal, putting uh, Dortmund sixth. Um, Bayern drew with Leipzig, who are still uh, ahead of the Bundesliga by five clear points. And should also just point out that Sebastian Heller made his debut for Dortmund in this game as well. He was returning after testicular cancer treatment. So good from Sebastian to get on there. So Great game, and Bundesliga is back, Willem. Yeah, no, fantastic, Derek. And they needed that, um, Dortmund, because they are still down uh, in sixth. And I think your point on that, maybe from the from the, the English media, it's seen as a, an early stepping stone, and then they're going to go on to bigger and better things. But, I mean, Dortmund are a huge club in their own right, and I think maybe Jaden Sancho has shown that uh, the grass isn't necessarily uh, going to be greener when you move on uh, from Dortmund. I'd like to see how Jaden Sancho goes now under Eric Ten Hag, a much... Uh, better oiled machine but yeah absolutely the grass is always greener and you get to play in front of that fantastic yellow wall every week I you know Dortmund just seems like a fantastic club and I'd suggest to both of those uh, precocious talents just to stick where they are for the moment but Edge look, come on we've managed to get Rob off the show so he can go full Guna glory now so tell us about your game of the week well, my game of the week has to be Arsenal and Manchester United. Arsenal uh, with a late winner from Eddie Nketiah, who scored a double. Um, I think this was uh, the game that I was really looking forward to, more so than the, the Tottenham-North uh, London derby, Derek, because um, Tottenham's form had been pretty crap. Uh, Manchester United's form has been very good. So this was probably the challenge that we were all expecting. And there's been a lot of discussion with Jesus uh, leaving, you know, the, the, because of his injury, not being a, a presence in that final third and whether uh, the, the, the current combinations that they had were going to be good enough to get them uh, the wins in tight circumstances. And you'd have to say after this win that um, 
Arsenal fans can probably rejoice a little bit and give themselves a bit of a deep breath. They've got a game in hand, five points ahead of Manchester City. They've got two very winnable games coming up. So that was my game of the weekend. Uh, and the emergence and the arrival of Eddie and Kedia um, is exciting. Uh, that on top of Saka's uh, wonderful strike as well gave Arsenal fans a lot of thrill and uh, nothing like beating um, the Manchester United boys because we know most of their supporters come from London anyway, Derek. No, true enough. They wouldn't have had too long to get home, probably just the tube back to their uh, to their houses for the Manchester United fans. But uh, I completely agree with the points on Eddie and Ketia. Uh, you know, I still would like to see some more strengthening of the Arsenal squad if they can get the right player. I think Leandro Trossard was a very shrewd signing. Obviously, they missed out on Mudrik and he showed little glimpses of brilliance for Chelsea. Uh, and also a horrendous neck tattoo, which I hadn't noticed in previous pictures, but God knows what's going on there. But Trossard, uh, he, he was involved in that third goal, a luxury to bring a, a Belgian international player and a, and a Premier League standard player off the pitch and in, in, into a, an attacking area to help us get the winner. I'd say that where I'm most anxious is probably centre of midfield. Once you get through um, Granite, Granite Acker and Partey, you're getting into the El Nenis and, and those kinds of people. Uh, and look, maybe another striker somewhere because Eddie goes down. There is no one else who can play striker uh, at the club. So, uh, But I also don't think we need to disrupt this team too much either. It's playing too well. And I think we should praise our physios too because on for the main part, um, they've managed to keep everyone fit. I have a moment of the week, but I'm going to hold fire on it because Michael's done the responsible thing and he's sent through his briefing notes pre-recording. So I'm going to latch on uh, to it, Michael, when you announce it as your your moment of the week, rather. Uh, But I will just say poi bo. We're going to move on to uh, the moment. Derek, uh, kick us off here, please. Yeah, so my moment of the week actually goes just before... Um, the weekend that's just been. And this was the extraordinary press conference, post-match press conference that Pep gave uh, after they'd beaten Manchester City 4-2. And of course, it had come from 2-0 down at half-time to, to romp home at 4-2. And, Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham, sorry, yeah. And they, um, yeah, he, he got both barrels of the shotgun and pointed them straight at the Manchester City fans and threw them under the bus. And pointed at them as the reason or one of the reasons why maybe City weren't kind of right up there, right on the same number of points as Arsenal. Um, And it's just an extraordinary decision for a coach. He's done it before, of course, and he has got a response. But, um, you know, Etihad Stadium is seen as one of the the quieter um, places to go in the Premier League. The City away fans are awesome, and I would date nothing away from them. But the the general... uh, analysis along with until recently the Emirates Stadium which has become extremely atmospheric with Arsenal's rise but he's absolutely pointed the finger at the fans and I think I think that's interesting you know um, his point is really that I've won the league title for you four times out of five seasons and you can't expect caviar every season Uh, I think he's also trying to find ways to g up his team and the mood around the club probably because the atmosphere around Arsenal is so special at the moment, but I was very surprised at this, and I wonder if it will come back to haunt him. Where's he at as manager, Derek? He's won it all. He's done it all, and won it all, bar the Champions League. He's always been a, a project manager, seven to eight years uh, at each club. You think he'd have one more big one in him? Uh, how long do you think he has to go? How how long can that fire uh, of the Champions League continue to burn uh, without actually achieving it? How how long? How long do you think he's got? Yeah, well, there there are the people out there. 
that um, that, that sort of points out that Pep's never won the Champions League without uh, Lionel Messi in the side, and that in fact his Champions League record overall. Uh, when you compare it to someone like Zinedine Zidane, for example, in recent times, isn't actually all that all that special. Um, it's a tough competition to win, obviously. And, you know, I think a few times that they've, they've really kind of murdered their own chances. I mean, they obviously have reached the final. And Guardiola has signed a contract until 2025. So we're talking two years away. To answer your question directly, Lee Willem, I think that's probably, you know, it. I think he's probably at the club longer than I thought he would be there. I thought he'd maybe do three or four years and then move on to another uh, prestigious sort of global or European club. But to be fair to him, he has stuck around a while because he probably gets paid the best wages in the business and he's got a virtual blank checkbook to spend on players. But I'd probably say 2025 he's got to win that Champions League or else it won't happen at all. Michael, from the footballing hotbed of Manchester to the footballing hotbed of North Hobart for your moment of the week. Absolutely, uh, Willem. <clears throat> and we know Hobart can be a sleepy town from time to time. There's a lot of talk around uh, the expansion of an AFL team into Hobart. And it was interesting to see that uh, for the first time, Western United took a match down there to North Hobart Oval, uh, which is quite tiny. And uh, uh, they didn't get a good crowd, but uh, it was the Diamonds' time to shine, wasn't it? Diamante scored an absolute bolter with a, a very um, forceful um, sort of volley chip that uh, got over the top and got them the three points. It well and truly woke up the Sleepy Hollow and was a fantastic, fantastic uh, way to uh, get Western United a win. And, um, and only uh, the Diamond can come up with uh, what he did post-game because it was... Um, uh, a simple response to a question after the game when he said to the uh, uh, the coverage after the game that thank you to myself for creating an instant classic uh, and stunning match winner. So he, uh, he well and truly stole the show, Alessandro Diamante. We know what an entertainment machine he is and he did it again, Willem. Yeah, I think his other line there was, I deserve it. He's been through a bit over the past couple of years. He was front and centre and brilliant for them in their first two campaigns. He's been very injured since. Uh, and from what we've seen, he's been in the background, but in the background, we know he's still a huge character. Uh, missed the championship last season, but still got his kid off and his, his pants off and was dancing around. So good to see him back playing. Not sure how long it's going to last. Those legs certainly have tired. Uh, but when you can put a goal in like that, uh, you've got to still have some worth to the competition. My moment of the week is also an A-League goal. It was that of Alex Rufer. Uh, made his Phoenix debut in Feb 2014. Uh, he spent much of the last 12 months injured with an ACL uh, 110 games for the seniors and reserves, all told. But never a goal until Sunday uh, against the Mariners. It put them 2-0 up, Michael, and they needed it in the end because the Mariners did get one back, so it was the uh, the winner. He's no one's idea of a superstar, a very solid citizen uh, of the league for nearly a decade. But by the same token, not many get to 26, uh, having played for just the one club. So he's been good to Wellington, and they've been very good to him. Absolutely. And what a name. Rufa, New Zealand football royalty, that name, isn't it? Uh, obviously, his father, Winton. But... Um... Yeah, well done to him and well done to Wellington Phoenix. That segues into my team of the week, really. Can I mention the A-League women's Wellington Phoenix team who got their first win of the 2022-23 A-League women's season with a 5 fill nil thumping of Cambria United who are uh, at risk of dropping off the precipice. Pretty good team Cambria put out onto the park, but it was all about Wellington, Willem, and they got the job done. And if, what was a fantastic double header for the Wellington Phoenix. You know, they probably did it, the club that did it the hardest during the... COVID period, so it was fantastic to see uh, both their clubs get off the canvas and um, and give their fans a doubleheader winner. But it was really all about the girls, five nil winning, a massive day for the club. 
the coach made mention of the fact that the pressure was on. They needed to get a win, and they well and truly did that. It just proved that um, you know club momentum um, sometimes. Uh, talent's not uh, everything about getting results. Sometimes it's just brute force and momentum, and that was the result that uh, Wellington Phoenix women need to get their season started. So congratulations. And they're my team of the week. Who's your team of the week, Derek? Yeah, I've actually gone for Celtic, uh, obviously wanting to bring an Australian theme into the show as well with Ange, of course. And I just think they've been in terrific form. And you can often overlook it because you get into this sort of sense that obviously you expect Celtic to win every week and you know they could be my team of the week every week on that um, on that front but they uh, beat Kilmarnock to get into the uh, Scottish League Cup um, final which of course they'll play Rangers um, they then beat St Mirren uh, 4-0 in the league and then at the weekend they beat Greenock Walk Morton 5-0 in the uh, Scottish fourth round of the, the cup which means that Angie's on for the uh, the treble at the moment and the usual suspect scoring, but of course, uh, Aaron Moy managing to uh, get two goals and that five uh, goal victory as well, including a, a penalty uh, with the late strike as well. So, all looking really good for uh, for Ange. Then, as I said, the treble is on. So, uh, we just well, I just wonder how many more times he can kind of go through the motions of this really before maybe he needs to think he needs to go on somewhere else, but he should just enjoy his time there at the moment because it's going very well. And he continues to refresh and regenerate. Derek, Yuki Kobayashi and Tomoki Iwata are through the door. And as we record, uh, just awaiting confirmation on Suwon Blue Wing striker Oh Hyun Gyu. Uh, so he continues to tap that Asian market. I don't know what the uh, the rest of the world needs to do to uh, to wake up. He's got a couple going out as well. Uh, Giaka Marcus going the other way to Urua Reds uh, and another who I will mention very shortly as I roll on to my team of the week, which is Union Berlin. We follow them a lot pre-World Cup. Uh, they led the Bundesliga for a time there. They dropped down to third after losses to Bochum and Leverkusen, and we all thought, oh, well, that'll probably be that. But they've won all three since the World Cup resumption. They're still third. Uh, they're, uh, they're jostling there in the mix. So Bayern, as you said earlier, Derek, are first on 35 points. But then Frankfurt, Union and Freiburg are all on uh, 30. Uh, this is a club that's just absolutely flying. They've got... Home and away legs against Ajax to play in the Europa League last 16. Uh, and they have welcomed in Josip Juranovic uh, from Celtic, who we all saw flying up and down the wings uh, at Champions League level. And then for Croatia as well uh, at the recent World Cup. So Union Berlin, strength to strength. And despite a couple of those uh, disappointing losses that saw them lose top spot, uh, they're still well in the mixer uh, to be top four. We'll move on to our hot topic of the week, Derek. And for you, it's going to be something of a cold topic. Talking about the pitches in uh, the UK and particularly those in the WSL and particularly the match between Chelsea uh, and Liverpool, a mirror of the uh, the men's fixture uh, this weekend. But it was an absolute farce, uh, this game. Um, there was a pitch inspection in the morning at 930 Uh the referee at that stage deemed that the the, uh, uh, the pitch was going to be unplayable, um, but did agree to inspect it closer to the time just to uh, just to confirm that. And then just before uh, the kickoff, despite no noticeable changes in the condition, the referee uh, then well it was deemed to be playable. Um, the players went out reluctantly. They played for about five minutes at the stadium, which is the Kings Meadow in Kingston upon Thames. So no under under soil heating or under pitch heating uh, for sure. 
uh, at this game, um, but with temperatures still at zero degrees and five to six minutes in, the referee then hauled them off for safety reasons and abandoned the game. And of course, there were fans that had got on coaches as early as 5 a.m. from Liverpool to come down and watch this game and obviously um, clearly endangering the players too who uh, who were put out on the pitch to try and make a game of it. And a lot of the speculation here is that um, potentially it was out of the referee's hands that he was instructed from people higher up that the game had to go ahead or best endeavours. It was live on BBC Two, which is a relatively big uh, terrestrial broadcaster they would have got decent audience there so maybe there was some tv pressure for the game to go on but obviously if this was uh edge if this was liverpool versus chelsea um men's football taking aside the location and and, and the unsaw heating you're not going to have players um sort of being put at risk there are you but it just seems that the women have just not been treated to the same standards here well i can understand that uh, the media has been scathing of um the double standards are here that uh, what's good enough for the men is not good enough for the women. <clears throat> You'd have to agree with that. And um, they've embarrassed themselves uh, well and surely with this game um, having to be postponed. Um, obviously, in many years gone by, it was a regular occurrence uh, before underground heating uh, came into all the venues. And, um, yeah, let's hope that this uh, will be a lesson for the Women's Super League and the clubs involved and... It won't happen again. So some conjecture here, Derek, as to who is actually in charge. Um, Emma Hayes, Chelsea manager, criticised the fact that the FA officials weren't at the match. Now, I assume that wouldn't happen uh, in, in men's football. And it seems to me that we see... I mean, this is a league that's boomed over the past five or so years. And we see scenes like we saw less than a fortnight ago where 47,000 attend Arsenal and Chelsea at the Emirates. So feels like the growth... When, when you have such sort of magnificent growth like that, not everything can follow in step, you're going to have push and then something, you know, a factor like this dragging the chain. Um, so you're going to sort of have teething problems as you go along when you've had growth at such a rapid rate. Yeah, I, I understand teething problems. Uh, I think I think an explanation needs to be um, forthgiven. I don't think Emma Hayes or the uh, Liverpool uh, boss um, uh, were, were you know, 100% confident of the exact process and, and what had happened. And clearly there had been a huge flip-flop in terms of what the referee's immediate position was and then the decision that was taken to play the game when they still had blowers on the pitch trying to de trying to de-cross the pitch. And the feedback from the players on the pitch was that they were struggling to keep their feet. The goalkeepers were scared of diving on the surface. And, you know, a lot of goodwill has been created by... England's uh, winning of the Euros and the game is very much on the up. And then it's just things like this, which then just sort of, you know, damage damage the game. It's not damaged it irreparably, but certainly there'll be a, a knock to the confidence and people's uh, willingness to go and attend matches if, if, if they're going to be treated like this. So I think there's a lot, to, a lot that's going to come out of the wash on this one. The only thing that won't come out of the wash is the kits, because presumably they'll be good for the next game. Michael, are you going to take a stateside? I am going to take a stateside, and it's remiss of us not to bring this up in a hot topic previously, but the uh, men's national team, uh, the American men's national team, you'd have to say, if you haven't been following the story of the Renier story, you'd have to say that American football was looking pretty good. You know, they had a reasonable World Cup, very young team. They got a nucleus to build to a home World Cup in 2026, but all of that is well and truly uh, gone off the rails. Talk about a derailment uh, 
Um, little did we know that during the World Cup, um, one of their young talents, Gio Reyna, a very famous name, his father played in the US men's national program as well. Uh, he apparently showed an alarming lack of effort at training and uh, that transpired in little game time for him at the World Cup. But it seems now as we scratch under the surface, there's been a Shakespearean drama has unfolded a few days after the US elimination. Head coach, Greg uh, Bolter, he detailed the saga at a leadership conference. It was supposed to be off the record. It all went into a newsletter. It became sort of mainstream news. Uh, Gio's parents, Claudio and Danielle Rayner, they were so upset with uh, their son's unprofessional unprofessionalism being aired publicly that they called US soccer sporting director Eddie Stewart to voice their anger. Danielle told him that in 1991, a domestic violent incident against the coach, who happened to be her boyfriend at the time, when he kicked her, uh, she brought that into the equation. That got into the media. Um, and well and surely, it's been a downward spiral ever since then. So um, you can just put two and two together. Um, US men's national team airing their dirty, dirty laundry, um, coming off the back of the equal pay fight. Um, US soccer um, it just proves that if you don't have your ass in order, People come through the back door and make a big stink about it, don't they, Will? That is a lesson for life, uh, more so than uh, than football as well. There, Michael, uh, my hot topic, Derek, I'm going to throw to you on this one as well, is Everton battling once again uh, 11 losses in their last 13 in all competitions and uh, to watch uh, David Moyes, uh, the manager who's also in the relegation zone with West Ham, get a 2-0 win uh, in what really was a, a genuine six-pointer. Would have hurt. Also, huge issues off the pitch. Uh, there are significant... Uh, discontent towards the owner, Mushiri. Uh, there's been some fan protests, Chairman Bill Kenwright, uh, Denise Barrett-Baxendale and Mushiri, and the Chief Financial Officer as well. Uh, we're all told on security advice not to attend uh, the home match against Southampton last week uh, with their security uh, said to be threatened. The fans have certainly knocked that on the head and said that that's an insult to them and their reputations. Uh there's also issues around the uh, the Bramley Moore dock, which looks like a really positive move uh, for the club. They're building that new stadium there, but word is Mushir, the owner, still needs to secure funding for the final stages there, and that's going to become a, a little bit more difficult if they are to be a championship club. Um, you would have thought that for a club of this size, they would have had the, the life scared out of them with the relegation battle last year, uh, and it was Richarlison, really, who, who found the goals when they needed them. He was in his well within his rights to move on. You would have thought that... Uh, that the primary objective would have been to have found someone to replace his goals. They haven't done it. Uh, and amazingly, they're in the same situation again. Amazingly or not amazingly, Willem, is probably the point because uh, not much has really changed in, in a, a year or so. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know where to start. I mean, I'd, Frank Lampard is not a good enough manager to be manager of the club, but number one. And, uh, I, you know, the Everton fans actually called for him to be the manager. And I always found it really bizarre. I don't know why out of all the people in world football, why he was um, was being pointed out as the saviour with a, a pretty kind of mediocre uh, record in football up, up until that point. And he's lost more than 75% uh, of his of his games. And then as you, as you move into the board, yeah, you've got a, you've got a, an owner who talks a big game, who, Kind of throws the checkbook around, but it, but it, you know, unlike other teams, there doesn't seem to be a lot of a lot of strategy to it, and they end up with a very kind of mishmashed, lopsided kind of you know team that that Lampard then needs to needs to needs to put together, and and then you know we don't know what's happened with 
Bismarnov, who was, uh, you know, the kind of silent partner in this, the, the Russian oligarch and billionaire who once tried to buy my Arsenal from Stan Kroenke. And uh, Edge and I are probably looking at that going, thank God for the moment that didn't happen because all of uh, Uzmanov's uh, assets were frozen. So, yeah, I'm not, you know, when you say they're struggling for the money for the Bramley Moore project, that could be uh, one of the reasons too. But uh, the fans themselves, I mean, ultimately the fans are the people that, that, that pay the season tickets, that buy the shirts. Everton is not an international club, really. It's not going to rely on a global fan base. It's local fan base, and particularly the local fan base around Liverpool is important. And I think they've just had enough of uh, had enough of mediocrity, had enough of bad decisions, had enough of their club just not going in the direction uh, that they want. And I'm I'm quite sympathetic. And you know, it was kind of symbolised at the end of this game. Uh, uh, traditionally, players go to the away fans to applaud them for making the journey, particularly if you come from Liverpool to West Ham, which is you know a, re- a relatively stiff journey in UK terms. Um, only about two or three of the players plus Lampard went over. The rest of the team just headed straight down the tunnel. So, yeah, it's not a good time to be involved at, at Everton Football Club, and I, I actually can't see it getting any better. Before we close out, I did shortchange you on a match of the week, so I'll, I'll throw in a, another one, Derek, a, another frozen topic. Uh, are either of you gents familiar with the Iceman, Wim Hof? Tell us more. Although he's, uh, he's a Dutchman who was doing his best work maybe 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, he would walk uh, kilometres with basically no clothes on in the uh, in the freezing cold. Andre Schürrle, the uh, German World Cup winner, retired at age 29. People thought maybe he had a little bit more juice left in his career. Yeah. Uh, he's gone and taken on the Wim Hof method. method. He's climbed the Snezka Mountains in the Czech Republic, uh, 1,603 metres above sea level with his torso exposed. Uh, so, yeah, he's gone, full, uh, he's gone full insane, basically. The last minutes, I couldn't feel anything, and I had to find something very deep within me to keep going. An experience I'll never forget. Minus 19 degrees, 100 kilometers, wind in our faces, heavy snow and rain. What I learned, my body and I are stronger than I thought. If I put my mind and soul into it, I can do anything. Might finish it up on that note, gents. Please subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and box to box Offside wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop. Next Monday evening, we'll have our weekly show for you. Uh, and we will, as always, go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.